The following audio is from Crossroads Church, a church in Lincoln, Nebraska, centered around building genuine community through authentic faith. More info can be found at lincolncrossroads.com. Jesus' name, amen. Anybody ever struggle from time to time with Bible study, like how to like study the Bible or, you know, you're supposed to read the Bible, but like, what does that even mean? Or how do you, how do you read it? And, you know, you hear people talk about concordances and lexicons and Bible dictionaries, and it gets a little bit intimidating. Well, <clears throat> I, I want to share just a very, very simple, a simple way to study the Bible. I'll tell you what I, my, I did, I did put my Bible dictionary, my Greek, uh, uh, Greek language study um, book and my uh, Bible like concordance to work this week um, because there was uh, some flyers, Family Fest flyers that were like curled up on the edges, so I needed to like make sure they're flat. So I stacked my those books on those flyers, and and then this is what I did with <laughs> uh, here. What we're gonna do today took no Greek studies or concordances or Bible dictionaries. Um, sometimes I think we make the biblical text so complicated that we can't even understand it, uh, when sometimes it just, it's just really straightforward. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to take today's text, and we're just going to like walk through it. And we're going to make, like I don't know, normal, everyday human observations from the text and watch God speak to us through his word. Okay, This doesn't take a theology degree to do. We're just reading it asking questions, putting ourselves in the context, allowing the, the story to become a little bit more real than maybe it has before. Because I, I, I know there's some of you like me that we think in like storybook style stories when we read the Bible, but these are real events that happen to real people. So we're, gonna just, we're just gonna dive in today and we're going to, the goal is allow the story to come alive so that God's word, God's spirit can speak to us through his word in ways that are going to, to bring impact in our lives. Sound like a pretty simple, straightforward plan? All right, so I'll be speaking to the both of you. All right. We are, we are picking up really in week three of this. Uh, I mean, we've, we've been in Acts for a while, but really this is a three-part story. Um, we're in the, the tail end of this story. So let me back up to make sure we, we know where we've been in case you missed it or in case you forgot. I mean, I, I know you never forget a single word of any sermon you ever hear, but in case, in case it's a little blurry, um, Jesus said in Acts chapter one, he said, you will be my witnesses when you receive power from the Holy Spirit. Remember that? I mean, that was pretty substantial. Then he like flew to heaven, like, like pretty dramatic mic drop moment, okay? He said, you're gonna be my witnesses. And then he left and then the Holy Spirit came, boom, power filled them, they were witnesses. And now in Acts chapter three, we see the practical, tangible, like personal expression of that, okay? I've already preached this sermon, so I'm not gonna, if you want the whole thing, go back and check it on your podcast or YouTube, but Here's basically what happened. Peter and John are walking along. They see a guy who's been lame from birth. He's over 40 years old. They're walking to the temple. Uh, Jesus has probably walked past this guy. Peter and John have walked, walked past this guy before. But for one particular reason or another, they saw him, right? They were living witnesses. And the first thing they did, they saw him. They didn't just see a needy man. They saw him. And then they didn't just see him, but they believed for him. You know, there's people in, your li- in our lives who, who are struggling, who are lame in one 
way or another. They're, there's, they're suffering in one way or another, and they've just contended that like this is life as you know it, but God is calling some of us to not only see people where they're at, but also believe for people who don't have the faith to believe for themselves. They saw them. They believed for them. He gave them his hand. God worked a miracle. His legs were restored. He began celebrating. Peter and John celebrate with him, and they go inside the temple. And so now they're in the, the temple, and they're just like freaking out, and they're like partying, and they're celebrating, and, and, and it says that Peter saw this as an opportunity, right? All the people in the temple have, have seen this guy before, and they see that he's walking. To, they're all celebrating. Party breaks out. All these, these people start to come and, 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 and hear, and Peter sees the opportunity, and he begins to do what? He begins to preach the gospel. And how does he do it? He begins to build these bridges with them. He speaks truth, but he builds bridges, and he, and he, and he gives grace and, and the, the message is very clear. It is because of Jesus, and Jesus is the answer to the questions you've been asking, but you've got to repent and turn to Jesus, right? So that's kind of where we are. Here's an interesting thing about this. Um, it says it was 3 o'clock in the afternoon when it happens, and we're going to find here in, in this next piece of the story, some, it's like a, a jump forward, and now it is evening, so Peter and John are still there with this man who's been healed, and, and inevitably this crowd begins to grow, right? You start, rumors start spreading that the guy who's been lame sitting on the road to the temple all these years is, is walking and dancing and jumping, word spreads. So now the, all these people are starting to gather, and Peter continues to declare the truth. Okay, now we come to Acts chapter 4, verse 1. It's a new chapter. It's the same story. The priests, in other words, the guys in charge of the temple, right? And the captain of the temple guard, security, and the Sadducees, some religious dudes, came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people, okay? So this has been happening for hours. These guys were around. They didn't know what to do. These crowds are forming. They're talking about Jesus. Jesus was just executed. They're kind of confused. What are you supposed to do with this guy? But the lame guy is walking, so I, I don't really have any grounds to like kick them out. What do I do? So they did nothing for quite a while until it started to get evening, and they're finally like, okay, we got to break this thing up. It says they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They were confused. They didn't believe in this, but it's hard to deny what was going on. Verse 3. So what do they do? They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, in other words, there was no time for a trial or anything, because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. They've been preaching all afternoon. The leaders didn't know what to do. Verse 4, but many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Let me just pause something here real quick. They just watched the preachers get thrown in jail. I want you to picture this, right? Peter and John are there. The lame man still dancing. He's jumping up and down, testing out those legs. All these people are gathered around. Peter and John get hauled off to jail, and people get saved in droves. That's interesting, isn't it? I mean, Jesus said to count the cost. These guys did it day one. There was no choice but to count the cost. I mean, could you imagine like how convincing this was? They were convinced. I mean, if you're going to say like, hey, you just got arrested for the belief system that I don't currently have. Yeah, I'll try that one. This was not advantageous to their health or well-being. 
And yet there was something about what just happened. There was something about the message. There was something about Jesus that was just so captivating and just so real and just so tangible that they're like, I don't care what it costs me. And it says their number grew to 5,000 men. That's interesting. Why does it say men? Did they not care about women? Did chauvinistic? No, no, no. Listen, it said in, in, in Acts chapter 2 when Peter preached his sermon and they all got said, 3,000 people, right? Now we're hitting numbers that, that are harder to count. And so when he talks about men, he's talking about heads of household. And so now he's saying, it started out with 3,000 erupted and, and people have been getting saved and people have been getting saved and they keep adding to their number and this, this message of Jesus is spreading like wildfire and now this, this layman is walking and now this word is spreading and people are believing in Jesus and now 5,000 households in a culture that really emphasized marriage and having kids, mostly large families, assuming that the head of household father would then share this faith in Jesus with their, with their families. And now we got 20,000 plus followers of Jesus in just a short period of time. This thing is exploding. But here's, here's something that's interesting. What they signed up for was a life of committed to Jesus, was a life committed to a man who's not just not popular, okay, but a man who is just executed as a heretic and a traitor. Can I just, can I just leave a side note here for a minute? A Christian nation is not necessary for Christian thriving. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the Christian nation. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with using our influence to, to affect our culture and our society towards godly morals. But listen, if we're hanging our hat on changing the culture or else we're not winning this, this spiritual battle, friends, I think we've missed history that says the church thrives in opposition. If we're waiting around for salvation messages to be given in public school systems, and that's how we know we're winning, we're, we're selling the gospel short. Hey, I want prayer back in school. I, I want godly morals taught. But, but God didn't call us To make sure culture honored Jesus, he called us to honor Jesus. This is a grassroots movement. It's time to get back to the grassroots. Let's be careful. And again, don't, don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. Use our influence. Let's see godly change. But, but if we're hanging our hat on that, if we, if we get thrown into despair when we watch the news because, ah, everybody's horrible. Friends, you, you, you've missed it. The church, the church is growing around the world. And I believe, and I believe God is doing something here in us at Crossroads, in the Lincoln community, 
tell you what, I want to do a pastor's or minister's launch with community, with ministry leaders around our community. Friends, God's work is being done. Lives are being changed. Souls are being saved. God is up to good things. But if we live in this 30,000 foot view where it's like culture versus church, like that's going to be a scary, depressing place to live. But if we get down to what is God calling me to, where is God leading me, friends, he's going to allow you to see some really cool things. It was exploding in a culture and in a society and a government that was hostile to the message of Jesus. All right, that was a side note. Let's get back to the text. All right, so... The next day, so they throw Peter and John in prison. Everybody kind of goes back to their home. The next day, it says this, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. It wasn't for this, but it was just, they were apparently having some kind of bigwig conference. It says, Annas, the high priest, uh, was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest family. So, um, like, all these, like, hot shots um, in, in the religious and political world were gathering together for some reason or another. God's timing is so cool, isn't it? Like this lame man has been there for 40 years. Jesus has passed by this man. Peter and John has passed by this man. But right before the gathering of the leaders of Israel, just coincidentally, you notice that when you follow Jesus, a lot of coincidences happen. So here's the deal. These, these, these guys are not just the chief priests in, in, in the temple garden, right? These are the guys who paid off the guards at the tomb to keep the Jesus resurrection under wraps. These are the guys who are who the evil behind the scenes that was trying to control the narrative. These are the guys who are so antagonistic about Jesus that they were willing to kill him fully aware of what they were doing, and they were trying to keep this quiet. So they hear about this lame man is now dancing around the temple. That's a problem. And then those who were with him, who told him to get up, were, were declaring Jesus. This is a bigger problem. And so verse 7, they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. But what power or what name did you do this? And you can hear the accusatory tone in their voice, and you can actually hear it even in the way that Peter responds to it. Who said you could do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, I want you to notice something. Filled with the Holy Spirit, but he speaks with respect and grace and truth. And I think almost a hint, maybe you can hear this, maybe I can, a hint of brevity and lightness in his voice. Almost chuckling at the accusation. <laughs> Wait, you want to know by what power and authority I, I made a lame man walk? I, you're accusing me of something here? Rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but God raised from the dead that this man stands before you healed. And then, and I love this, he quotes their own scripture back to them here. 
He references Psalm 18.22 when he says, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. That was pointed. He goes on, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Listen, he was asked a question. He could have answered it. He could have said, well, it was by the power of Jesus that this made this man walk. That could have been his answer. And had that been his answer, like, it was Jesus. Like, you want to know, like, I'll, I'll tell you, it was Jesus who made this man walk. And, and they could have said that. And you know what? If they would have simply said that, it would have required faith. It would have required boldness. It would have required courage. But Peter wasn't trying to accomplish some, like, evangelistic task He wasn't trying to just, well, don't deny Jesus. No, he saw this as an opportunity, so he took it. It wasn't an opportunity to attack or to offend, but he saw a group of leaders who needed to understand who Jesus really is. Jesus didn't, Peter didn't step into this situation and, oh, 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 okay, it's, 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 it's witnessing time. Let me put on my evangelist hat. No, this was his default way of thinking. People need Jesus. This this is just how he thought. This is how he was wired. People need Jesus. And here, somebody is just straight up asking what happened here. I see the opportunity. I'm going for it. And then verse 13. I love this verse. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. You know, I've, I've preached this text a number of times, and every time, and every time I, I, I've preached it, I've, I've leaned on this. They took notice that they'd been with Jesus. And, and <laughs> I don't think I was theologically too off, but I don't think I was really true to text. I, what I've said is that, look, they knew they were being with Jesus. They could tell by their lifestyle, the way that they acted, the way they be- behaved, the way they believed. These were, these were Jesus' guys. But if I really slow down, that preaches really, really well. Um, But I don't think that's why they took note that they had been with Jesus. They just simply knew that, hey, look, every time Jesus was around, these two dudes were real close to him. They took note that he had been with Jesus, not because of anything that they were doing in and of itself. Now, they did take note of it. However, what it really was, like, I know that you're like Jesus people. I know that because you, I mean, this is John who describes himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. This is Peter who can't help but sticking his foot in his mouth, right? Like these are the people who are side by side with Jesus throughout his ministry. And so when Jesus was like giving them an earful, like Peter and John were right there going like, so when Peter and John are standing up here, they're like, like, I know you guys, but something stuck with them. Notice some things about them. They were courageous. Like nobody talks, nobody talks to the high priest like that. Nobody, no, nobody, you don't, you don't speak that direct. And the other thing you notice is these, these were not special people. They were just dudes. They were just blue collar fishermen guys. And yet here they were clearly and simply explaining Jesus. It caught their attention. But, verse 14, but since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, 
So I'm picturing this now. They'd been, Peter and John had been thrown in jail. They call them out. They're like, we gotta, we gotta know what's going on here. So they go find the, the lame man. Shouldn't be hard to find. Everybody's probably talking about it. They bring him there. And so now they're in this court kind of setting and all these guys are sitting up in their high and lofty seats and Peter and John are standing there making a defense of Jesus. The, the lame man's there, probably still dancing a little bit. It says, but since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. What do you, what do you, what do you say to that? No, uh So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, and then they conferred together. So they slept out of the room, and now they're all talking just among themselves. What are we going to do with these guys? They asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. First of all, just... Side note, like how cold and hard does your heart have to be to see the evidence of God and say, we got to find a way to cover this thing up. But the, the phrase that stood out to me more than anything in this is that we cannot deny it. We cannot deny it. We can try to explain it away but we can't deny it. Can I ask you a question? Do you live a cannot deny it kind of faith? I mean, think about it. When people outside the faith see your life, do they look and like, obviously there's something there. And I can try to explain it away. And I can try to pretend it's not there but there's something there. Maybe, maybe for you, it, it is a radical testimony like this. Man, I was this way, and Jesus just touched me, and boom, I was, I've never been the same. But for most people, I mean, those are cool stories, and they're out there. But for a lot of people, it's the choice to follow Jesus and the commitment to follow him through wherever we're going. For so many of us, the, the, the journey of having that undeniable kind of faith is oftentimes the slow and steady walk with Jesus. When I can look back at last year, or if you've been walking this thing long enough, I can look back at five years ago, or I can look back at 10 years ago, and I, I, don't, even, I don't even recognize that person anymore. Where anybody who knew you then and knows you now, they might be able to explain away the, the, the change, but they, they, they cannot deny that you are not the same. See, that's what happened to this man. They, they looked at him like, I, I know how he was, and I see how he is, and I cannot deny it. You want to be a witness, live an I cannot deny it kind of life. Like we try to figure out like, tactics in order to get people to believe in us. Listen, nobody's going to believe in your God if they don't see the change that your God has made. If the lame man was never healed, if the lame man stayed there and he talked to all his lame guy friends and was like, hey, Jesus is my friend. They're like, cool, I got friends too. And I think sometimes that's how we try to like sell our Jesus stuff. Like Jesus is your friend. People are like, I've got friends. 
Jesus is my friend. But he's so much bigger than my friend. What is it in my life that Jesus has done that nothing else and no one else could ever possibly do? Let's start telling that story. I think sometimes we're, we're intimidated of it. What is it going to sound like if, if I just lean on Jesus? Is this going to sound weak? No, no, no. What are the things that have happened in your life that Jesus has done that no one and nothing could ever possibly do? That's how you be a witness. But here's the problem. For far too many of us, we've reduced the Christian life down to like these three really simple pieces. Religious practice, belief, the right belief system, and behavior, right? Moral and ethical behavior. And let's just be honest, in the church, in the church as it is today, all three of those are all still kind of like, eh, maybe. Religious practice, you don't got to do that to be a Christian, so you're probably fine without it. Belief, just get nuts and bolts of it. Behavior, ah, we serve a God who forgives. We've taken an already stripped down version of Christianity and stripped it down even further, and then we're like, hey, who wants it? Guys, the world doesn't want that. The world has no need for that. So we could teach tactics on reaching the lost, but I think our tactics on reaching the lost have to start with walking so closely with Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit that we allow God to do things in us that no one else and nothing else can do and put our lives on display for the world to see that God's actually changing me. Again, sometimes it's in a minute, but Paul says it's not always in a minute. He tells the church in Rome, he says, this is what you need to do. He says, be transformed. Like, this is, like the Christian life is a life of transformation. It's not of a momentary transformation. I think that's where we get it. Like, I got saved at that moment. If your salvation moment is your only testimony, then you've not begun to live the full Christian life that's available to you. Because the Christian life is a life of constant transformation. He said, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Not like in an instant. He'll change you in an instant, but he invites you on this transformation process. You want your witness to grow. Continue to allow God to work in you in such a way that your witness grows just because there's more and more things that God is doing in you that are completely inexplainable. Maybe like, what are you talking about? Okay, well, if it's healing, that one's really easy and obvious. God still works that way. God still wants to work that way. What if it's this? What if, what if it's something as simple as I walked through 2020, my faith wasn't shaken, my emotional stability stayed intact, and I loved Jesus every day of it, and my Christian friend or my unbelieving friends were like, You're just in denial, and I'm like, No, I've got the peace of Jesus inside of me. Yeah. Maybe what it looks like is you were a victim of horrible and terrible things that were done to you. And not only do you not carry that pain and weight with you everywhere you go, you've actually forgiven your offender and walk in freedom in, heart of, in your heart and your spirit with no resentment or bitterness. And you've let God heal you deeply in a way that no one and nothing ever could. 
Friend, you, walk, you find that kind of freedom and you'll be a witness. When you've been hurt, offended, and you easily walk in forgiveness. When you allow God to change your default wiring. I've heard, I've heard a lot of people like, well, that's just the way that I am, right? Let's take anger. Let's pick on that one. I kind of got an explosive personality. You know, my dad was that way. My grandpa was that way. That's just kind of the way that I am. Listen, here's the beauty of the gospel. Jesus says, come as you are, but he never says, stay as you are. Do you believe that when the word says that I will take your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh, do you, do you believe that that's not for you? That's just for everybody who's wired differently? That's, that, that's for everybody who doesn't have a genetic disposition towards things? Listen, the things that I'm wired differently and the genetic d- disposition that I have towards something is not outside of God's ability to heal my heart and heal my mind. Did you know that you don't have to live? Let's go back to this anger thing. You don't have to live in this place. You're like, okay, here's the Christian way to do it. I get mad, I blow up, but I'm trying to blow up smaller and I'm trying to ask forgiveness quicker. Good step, good step. But did you know if you keep following him through this, he wants to change your default reaction to those things. Do you believe in a God who can do that? There's some of you that you believe God can raise a lame man, but you don't believe God can change your predisposition towards certain circumstances in life. Either we believe God is a life-changing God or we don't. Do you believe there's power in the gospel still today? Are you convinced of it? Verse 18, then they called them in again and they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. (laughs) I love that. This is where they could have been like, okay, and just like not done what they said. But this this is, they respond. I love this. Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? These are the highest people in their nation right now. And then he, and he plays the God card. I love it. Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. We cannot help speaking about what we've seen and what we've heard. Friends, this is what a witness is. I think sometimes we can get real caught up in what a witness does. Again, if you've been a Christian since you were this big and you grow up, especially... um, You've probably been to, here's how to win your friends and, and, and save souls. And th- there's some great teaching. And there's some incredible insight and things we can learn. I want to grow in my ability to be able to share Christ in a way that people receive it. And it's life-changing for sure. But if all of our focus is on what a witness does, and we forget the crux of it, which is what a witness is, we're going to struggle for the rest of our life in this area. And I would say from personal experience and uh, many conversations that this is something that many of us do struggle in, the courage and the boldness to just simply say, I love Jesus and I don't care who knows it. But here's the difference. It wasn't like, oh, Jesus said, God said to tell them about Jesus, so I feel compelled, so I better go do it. 
But this was, just, this was in him. I saw the resurrected Jesus. This is Peter. Remember Peter? He sees Jesus arrested and he gives up. He denies him. He denies him to like a servant girl. Well, Jesus is in his greatest time of need and he is at his, Peter's at his lowest spot and he denies him and he curses God and he runs off. And then the next time Jesus sees Peter, he says, no, I want you, Peter. I've got a plan for you. You don't think that stuck with him forever? You don't think that shaped how he was a witness. And so now deep inside him, he's like, no, 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 no. I have this personal experience. God, Jesus changed my life. He saw me when I denied him and he loved me and he gave me a mission and he gave me authority. And he, and he said, I'm gonna build his church. And yeah, I was the greatest sinner. I was the one that denied him. Man, I am going to tell everyone about him. Can I just tell you something? Peter was convinced of who Jesus was. And Peter was convinced of what God could do in their lives too. So when Peter saw an opportunity, it wasn't just like a preaching moment. He saw an opportunity to share Jesus with those who needed Jesus. This is how a witness thinks. He could have just said, Jesus did it. He said, he hears, I command you to stop speaking. He could be like, fingers crossed. I don't have to do it. No, but he speaks up like, what, what do you want me to do? Not listen to God? God obviously healed him. Are you going to say otherwise? No, God obviously healed him. I'm going to listen to God, not to you. I'm going to keep on talking about what? About what I've seen and what I've heard. After further threats, they let them go. They couldn't decide how to punish them because of all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. I want to I look here in the, our, our last minutes together. You know, about what, about what a witness is. When we started this, we, we looked at what a witness does, didn't we? In, in, in the beginning of Acts 3, and he, he, what a witness does, he, he's going along in his life, walking right in step with Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. But what does he do? He, he sees others. He believes for others. He helps others. He celebrates the wins, the victories of others. This is, what a, this is what a witness does. And so what we can do and what it's really easy to do, like, okay, let me go do that. I'm going to practice those things this week. I'm going to see other people, and I can, I can practice that. I'm going to believe for others. And I, I can practice. I can help others. Let's, let's get out there. Let's lend a hand. I'm going to celebrate with others, not just my own stuff, but, but, but let, me, let me take it to the next level, a deeper level. I want to talk about what a witness is. Not just what, they do, what he does. This is the perspective of an unbeliever. When they saw, or just don't forget that. When they saw the unbelieving leadership, when they saw the, what, the courage of Peter and John, and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. The first thing they saw, they noticed the courage. What is, what is a witness? A witness is courageous. 
They spoke freely of Jesus. And I, and I, want, you to, I want you to note something here. They didn't speak freely. I think sometimes we, we, we might take some liberties here. Like they, they were bold and they just said truth. And as long as I'm speaking truth, then I'm justified in how I do it. No, 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 no. He did it with grace. He did it with building bridges, not walls, right? He spoke freely of what? Of Jesus. Let's be careful that we don't confuse that with speaking freely and boldly of our pet agenda. There's a lot of agendas that we pin to our faith and, and that we, we make as loud or as strong as our, our, our agenda to see Jesus change the lives of people. Hey, I believe God has put different passions in every one of us. That's fantastic. That's the beauty of the church. And you chase that which God has put in your heart. But let's, let's, just, let's just make sure we stick to the text. You know what they were bold and courageous about? That Jesus changes lives. I think sometimes we hide our message of truth behind our agenda and say, this is what Jesus would do, therefore it's what I would do, and we leave Jesus out of it. Let's speak Jesus. Let's be bold and courageous with Jesus, that Jesus has the answer. Let's not get that confused. But here's the second thing. They were common. That doesn't sound like a really special trait. No, by definition, it is the opposite of that. It says they, were, they, t- they realized they were unschooled, ordinary men. In other words, they didn't speak the same language that these high officials spoke. They, 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 they just talked in, in normal, ordinary words. You know, here's this, this thing that we do sometimes is like, we know that I live down here in my common everyday life. And I don't know what your common everyday life is, but whatever, for whatever that is right here. But the Bible, the scripture is so far above us, right? And so here's what we want to do sometimes. We want to learn the language of, of scripture, which we ought to, don't get me wrong, which we ought to. But then we want to speak this language to this world. But as missionaries to our community, as, as, as witnesses of the power of God, we are called to understand the higher things of God and to explain them in a way that are simple and understandable for the people that in our lives. How do you talk about Jesus to the people in your life? Well, kind of maybe the same way that you talk about your last vacation. Okay, like, if, if here, general rule of thumb. If you don't understand a churchy word, don't use it to your unchurched friends, okay? Please. Just because you heard some other Christian talking about something that you don't understand doesn't mean you need to regurgitate it because wait till they ask you about that. You want to put yourself in an awkward position. What do you actually mean when you just said that? Use the language. Do you understand the gospel enough to accept Jesus? Yeah, then you understand the gospel enough to explain it to somebody who needs to know. Right? Do you, do you need more information to be saved? Oh, let's grow in our knowledge. Don't get me wrong. But do you need more to be saved? No, then your friend doesn't need more than what you have to be saved. Does that make sense? You don't have to try to be a scholar when you talk about the Bible, you can, you can express the fact that there's things that you don't understand and you don't know. That is one of the most refreshing things, I believe, to unbelievers is when you act like, you don't act like you have it all together. Especially in today's world. They were common, but they were courageous. I don't have all the answers. 
I don't know how to say the words right. I love listening to a new believer who's bold and courageous talk about things I've been talking about my whole life, but jumbling up all the words, but saying them in a way that is meaningful to them. I'm like, that's so awesome. You didn't say any of it right, but it's so cool. Like, I know your heart. Speak the language you understand. Speak the Jesus that you know. Don't tell somebody else's story. Tell your story, the common one. We want to be a, we want to be a witness. We got to be courageous. Yeah, we got to step up. We got to step out. We got to be willing. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because he knew it was the power of God that would change lives. But I think both of those two hinge on this next one. So they had been with Jesus. It's not just about Number three is they were convinced. They were convinced. They were convinced. They'd been with Jesus. They'd seen him work. They'd seen him move. They'd seen him speak. They'd seen the, 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 the seas quiet, the waves stop. They've seen the dead raised. They've seen Jesus. And they were convinced. And so when Jesus stood before them, the actual physical Jesus stood before them, and as the disciples were gathered there before he ascended into heaven, and Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. Guess what? They received that as a personal call to actually be who he said they were going to be. The problem today is we view being a witness as an add-on to our Christian faith. Friends, are some of you today You need to personally hear Jesus say to you, you will be my witness. This isn't a request. Shoot, it's not even a command. It's just a reality. But they're friends, there's some of us in this room right now and you've never received it. You've heard the preacher say it, but you've never received that call for you personally. When he said, you will be my witness, he wasn't just speaking of this collective gathering in the church and because I show up on Sunday morning, I'm a part of the witness. No, he was calling you. When you go to work tomorrow, he was calling you. He was saying, you will be a witness. Will you receive that calling on your life? You will be the representation of Jesus to an unbelieving world. Will you receive that today? And there's some of you, you just need to personally receive, well, I'm an introvert. Does Jesus say, yo, extroverts, you will be a witness? He says, I will use you, and I made you the way you are. I didn't make mistakes. I made you the way you are, and you will be a witness. Your witness may look different than the person sitting next to you, but you will be a witness. Friends, will you receive the invitation from Jesus to be his witness? He can say it all day, but until you receive it, nothing's happening. And here's the second thing. There's some of you that you, you struggle. And your struggle is because you're just not convinced. Some of you are new to the faith and you're just like, I, I just haven't, I, I just haven't seen. 
And there may be some of you, you've been, you've been Christians for decades. And you're like, I still haven't seen anything past just the belief in religious activities and the moral stuff. And I'm worn out by it all. You need to be a witness, yes, but you, you, you probably need to start somewhere else. Can I, can I give you a new starting point? If that's, if that's you today, if you're like, man, I'm, I'm struggling in this because I, I don't, I'm just not quite convinced. In my own heart and in my own soul and the quietness, I, I, just, I just, I still have questions. Now, let, let me tell you this first and foremost. This church is a place where you're allowed to ask questions. This church is a place where you're allowed to die. I believe that there's some people in here, in this room right now, that you have not received Christ and you're still like trying to figure it out. Listen, I'm glad you're here today. This, there's no better place to try to figure it out. There's no expectations placed on anybody. But if you are in a place where you're like, I'm, whether, where you say, I'm Christian, I'm just, I'm, I struggle to be convinced, or I'm, I'm not really there yet. Let me ask you, let me ask you just to do this one thing. Would you just ask God for convincing evidence? I think sometimes we're too afraid of asking God for big things because what if he doesn't? I've been there. This lame man, there's the grace of God on him. He didn't ask for anything. But, but I think of the, the number of people in, in Jesus' ministry who called out, Jesus, have mercy. Jesus, come save me. Jesus, come heal me. They called out for him. And when they called out for him, they weren't worried about what if he can't. They called out for him because they had faith and belief. Like, I, I've got to at least try something. And they reached for him and they were convinced. I believe this guy who'd been there, Jesus, I inevitably have walked past him numerous times. And he never asked. He never asked for his healing. He never asked to be changed. He grew complacent in his ailment. Friends, whether, whether you say I'm a follower of Jesus or you're just still on the fence, listen, if you're not convinced today, you just, between you and Jesus, you need to say, God, convince me. What's that thing that's holding you back? What's that thing that's causing doubt to stir up in you? What's that thing that you're too afraid to ask for? Guys, we claim this God of ours created the universe. I think he can take care of whatever's on your heart right now. Ask him to show himself. Ask him to convince you. And keep asking, keep seeking, because he's a God who wants to show himself to you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Quit going through the motions, Christian, and seek God for something real. He's called us to be a witness we receive the invitation today. Father God, we praise you and we thank you that you are a God who sees all things. You know our hearts even now. Father, I pray that you would do convincing work in your church this, this week, God, I'm asking. Do convincing work in your people. God, may we look for you to do great things, to change our hearts, that we be transformed by the renewing of our mind. 
that we'd be more convinced than ever that you are a God who is actually the answer to the questions that we're asking. And Father, may we receive your call to be a witness. Here we are, use us, God. We're convinced we're yours. May we walk in your courage and your strength this week. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this audio from Crossroads Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Crossroads, please visit lincolncrossroads.com.